What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 158 as we chat with copywriter Summer Oase about going from $5 blog posts to assignments that pay more than 50 times that much today how she finds good clients willing to pay her rates, what she did to write for clients like Copyblogger, Men With Pens, and Miracy, and how she stays productive while raising a young family. Hey, Summer. Summer, welcome. Hi, guys. How are you? So good. So good to talk to you. This has uh, been a long time in the making. I think we've. I think this is our fourth attempt to make this interview happen, but I'm feeling... Oh, yeah. I think we're all feeling good. This is going to happen, and we're really, yeah, really excited to talk to you today. So let's just kick off with your story. How did you end up as an email copywriter? Mostly through trial and error. So before I was an email copywriter, I was a content writer. I spent about eight years building my business and authority, um, wrote for clients like Paul Jarvis and big brands like Marriott and Intercontinental, got published in places like Copyblogger and Founder. My business as a content writer was at a pretty sweet spot, to be honest. But then three things happened. One, I got more interested in pursuing the ROI of the content that I was writing but my clients weren't. Two, I hit the ceiling at $1,000 a blog post and couldn't seem to find clients willing to pay me more than that. Um, And the ones that were paying me $1,000 expected the sun and the moon without measuring the ROI again. So this was really frustrating. And three, I'd begun to hate waking up in the morning and writing content. Um, There was just no joy in my workday anymore. And I thought I was just burned out. So as I was grappling with all this, when uh, Joanna Weeb of Copy Hackers launched her 10x freelance copywriter course, um, I figured if there was one person who could help me break the $1,000 ceiling and teach me how to convince clients to measure the ROI of the content that they were publishing online, it was Joanna. So um, as I worked through the course, I realized that it wasn't that I was burned out. It was that I was just no longer interested in writing content anymore. And that's when I started experimenting with writing other kinds of copy. I tried my hand at landing pages, hated that. I tried writing a sales page. I sucked at that. And I didn't even want to touch writing website copy because I had no idea how to measure the ROI of that. And it felt too much of a hassle. Um, Around this time, I started talking to Val Geisler. She was in the 10X course with me. And Val is incredibly focused Um, She took everything Joe taught us in the course and applied it. And as a result, she was seeing this incredible growth in her business to the point where she had more work than she could handle and was looking to subcontract some of it. So I reached out to her. I told her I wanted to try my hand at email copywriting and that even though I had no experience, I was a fast learner, never missed a deadline, and I didn't make the same mistake twice. So while being the amazing person and entrepreneur that she is, took a chance on me and she gave me two weeks to write an email sequence. I think it was a re-engagement email sequence. Um, I spent the first week just learning about email copywriting. I think I spent four to six hours a day just consuming as much information as I could. And I loved every minute of it. 
by the time I wrote the sequence, I'd found my copywriting speciality. And that was almost two years ago. I haven't looked back since. Wow. Okay. So a lot to unpack here. But before we jump into email, I'd love to go uh, talk a little bit about content and the content that you're writing. Because I imagine there are a lot of people who heard you say $1,000 per blog post that just about you know swallowed their lunch, uh, you know, one bite. Like, <laughs> you know, we see people who are struggling sometimes to make a hundred dollars per blog post. And so, can you talk a little bit about how, when you started out, you were able to up level your business to the point where you could get a thousand dollars? What did you do? Uh, how did you find the right clients? What was the kind of content that you were writing? So I guest posted a lot, and uh, I I wasn't as prolific as Brena was in her guest posting, but I was extremely strategic. So I would only hit a guest post on the blogs that were read by my uh, prospective clients. So mostly marketing and small business blogs. So I guest posted on CopyBlogger. And it was this humongous 5,000 plus word blog post, which uh, went on to stay in their popular blog post roster that was at the side side of their um, main uh, homepage for 12 months. And it kept bringing me clients. Every month, I would get queries from prospective clients who would ask me, who would refer to that blog post. And every few clients, I would just keep raising my rates. And it would scare me so much, like $450, $500, $700. And every jump, I would be sweating. It's like, they're not going to accept it. They're not going to accept it. They're going to see right through me. Um, but they kept accepting it. But also their expectations also just began to balloon. Um, So that $1,000 blog post may sound like a lot of money, but it required me interviewing 30 people and putting together this um, listicle of quotes um, of experts. And if you've ever, you, you guys do interviews with with the podcast and you know how hard it is to get somebody to give you a quote on email and I mean just this podcast took two years in the making so you can imagine (laughs) how hard it was so it was gratifying when it was done but that entire process was just too much too much of a hassle for me and I I was at a point where I wasn't willing um, to work at those rates anymore and I wanted to charge three times that for the amount of work and hours that I was putting in And obviously, I couldn't find anybody. Okay. So I know you've pivoted. And again, we're going to talk about email. But before we wrap this up, what what would you do differently? If you were still interested and excited by the content side of your business and building that out, what what changes would you make to make that work for your business today? I would be making myself more visible. Um, I would be hosting webinars, talking on podcasts about getting ROI from the stuff that you publish online and just tying... Uh, the concept of money to my work. Because when clients see that your work can get them more business, more money, it's a lot easier for them to justify the expense to themselves, to their bosses, to whoever is calling the shots. Very cool. So switching a little bit now towards what you're doing today, aside from subcontracting, how are you finding clients? How you, have you made the switch from finding uh, content-based clients to email-based clients? Okay, so two ways, um, referrals and pitches. Um, I let my clients and connections know that I was working, as an, e- uh, working in e- as an email copywriter now and that I have an opening and ask for introductions. 
And um, one of the things that I do is that I'm always looking for gaps in my prospective clients' email funnels. And then I pitch them. So that's how I landed Copy Hackers as a client. I pitched Joe two email sequences that I realized she didn't have in place. And she said, yeah, let's do it. And so we did it. So yeah, follow up to that then. Let's talk about the specifics of that pitch that you make. Like, you know, what are you saying in that um, outreach to a potential client that, you know, people are responding to? Yes. Is it just, hey, I noticed you're missing something and I can do this? Or are you going to uh, more in depth in in trying to create a relationship? What does that pitch say? Okay. So the up side of this was that I already had a relationship with Joanna in the sense where we weren't like friends, but she is a mentor of mine since I'm in her course. Um, And I kind of was, I messaged her and said, hey, have you realized that people are leaving the course now that all the modules have been released? And she said, yeah. And then she said, I see a pitch in your future summer. And four hours later, I sent her this formal pitch in in her Slack channel and we had this whole negotiation. She put me through the ringer, to be honest. She was really testing me out. Um, and um, yeah, so I just told her, I was very, I'm very passionate about her course 10X freelance copywriter. It, is, it has been instrumental in my growth in the last two years in my business. So I told her, I told her, look, Joe, it breaks my heart to see all these people leaving because they don't realize all the other value you and Amy are providing. So I want to do something that keeps them there, that that makes them use up all the resources that you're giving them instead of just leaving the course at the end of it and then not um, reaping the benefits. And so I just kind of highlighted all the stuff that her course can do for the students and all the wins that they can get and pitch that. All right. So how else did you build up this business? I know landing this uh, project with Joe, working with Val, what else were you doing to shape your packages and really figure out this new business? Again, it's going to sound very cliche, but trial and error. Um, I have this habit of stalking um, freelancers I look up to, right? So I will go through their websites. I will follow them online. I will listen to every podcast interview, every guest post that they um, publish. And I just learn. I am a voracious reader, not of books, surprisingly. That has really gone down as I've become a parent, but online reading is my jam. So um, I keep taking notes and I keep noticing all these little things. And that's how I created my email strategy and copywriting process. And so that's how I kind of built it. And then every time I would create something like a package or my process, I would test it out on the next client and then adjust it accordingly. So I want to ask if there are email sequences that copywriters uh, aren't necessarily writing for their clients, but that should be writing for themselves. What are we missing as far as email goes in our own businesses? I think you're missing most copywriters, including me, by the way. I don't even have an email list set up on my website right now, which is in the works, but it's like the cobbler. What's that saying? The cobblers? Yeah, cobblers children have no shoes. Yeah, yeah. So I've been writing these amazing email sequences for everybody and getting my e-commerce clients these great results. But I don't have anything to show for it except for my portfolio. So, yeah. But the one thing that I have planned on doing um, is a nurture sequence. Because it's a, nothing builds up the no like trust factor like a nurture sequence, and then at the end of it, when you give make an offer to whoever's subscribing 
And then it's just a natural progression of, hey, yeah, sure, I'd love to work with you. Instead of just, you know, being on somebody's list and then out of the blue getting an email, hey, I've got an opening next month. Who's interested? So it's it's kind of like that. Okay. I'd love to hear more about your process because you mentioned that you've pulled inspiration from other copywriters you respect. So what does that process look like today? What are you doing differently in your process than maybe other writers? So my process has four phases. Phase one is audit and analysis. I do not move forward with uh, projects without it, right? So I don't care if you've had somebody do your audit first before. I want to do my own. Because a lot of times people don't look for things. I mean, because I'm the one handling this particular project, I know what I want to look at and not somebody who's just doing a general audit. So um, I do an email by email audit of usually up to 12 to 15 emails in a sequence and find out what's working, what's not working, identify the money gaps and come back with recommendations on how to fix what's broken, optimize what's not and identify areas where we can increase conversions. Phase two is discovery and strategy. In this phase, I talk to my clients and everyone involved in the email decisions that they make. Um, I talk to their customers, collect VOC data through surveys, interviews, reviews, competitor research, etc. And once I have everything I need, I sit down and mine that data, which helps me in creating a strategy, mapping out the email sequence, complete with segmentation and stuff, and creating a storyboard that has details about each email. Phase three is copywriting and editing. This is my favorite part. It's where my copywriting chops come into play. And it's purely creative. By this phase, I have everything I need. The storyboard tells me what I need to include in each email. So I just have to sit down and write the emails I've been thinking about for weeks by this point. Um, Phase four is implementation and testing. Now, most clients have their own people doing this. But if they don't, then I go in and implement the emails and set up their sequence. Then in 90 days or once a certain number of subscribers have been through the sequence, we go in and see how those emails are performing and how they can be further tested and optimized. So it sounds like you've got everything going really well in your business summer. Tell me, where are you struggling? Like what isn't working and what things can you be doing to improve? I'm struggling with financial planning, which sounds... Shocking, right? But I am really bad with money. So it's, to me, two plus two equals five. Um, I have no financial system in place. Like money comes in, I use it as I need it. I put aside a certain amount for taxes now that I'm in a country that I, where I have to pay taxes. Um, and yeah, I've been trying to get better at it and I'm reading profit first and trying to implement it, but it's really slow going. So my biggest struggle right now is learning how to manage my cash flow better. All right. So I, I'm going to go back into the process because you mentioned a lot that was really stood out to me. So with your audit, um, where where do most of us kind of fall short when we're providing an email audit and that initial phase? Where and how can we improve that so we're doing a great job in that first phase with the audit? Okay. So there's... I treat my audits kind of like in a in a two-phase way where one, I'm going email by email. I'm checking subject lines. I am looking at the preview text, the opening line, the call to actions, everything, right? But then there's the bigger picture where I see the entire sequence as a whole. I map it out in a flowchart and I see how everything is connected. Um, and I think that is where a lot of audits may be lacking. 
So it's when I see the big picture, it lets me see the gaps. It lets me see areas where we can uh, optimize certain things. And it just brings like it just helps me see come up with a better strategy, basically. Okay. And then you mentioned your storyboard, you mentioned flowcharts. Can you talk through what this storyboard looks like? What tools are you using? Are you actually like sketching this out? Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for my flowchart, I use a service called Whimsical. It's about $10, $12 a month, but it is brilliant. It makes mapping out email sequences incredibly easy. Um, And because when when you're going deeper into segmentations it just you know you know how all these things start branching out and it gets a little out of control so paper and pencil always doesn't always uh work out so whimsical for mapping out um the sequence and then i just use google sheets to create the storyboard i create um, a column for the number of email the delay in the emails um the title of the email notes of what's going to be in the email, the CDA, the links, stuff like that. And then I share it with the client, uh, get the final approval, and before I start writing. Okay. And then the last piece, testing and optimization. Of course, we all know what that means, but can you talk through what that actually looks like for your clients? Depending on what we've decided, right? Certain certain number of days or subscribers going through it, we uh, hop on a call and go through the results. Um, with the client and we identify areas where we think okay so this might be perform this should be performing better or we need to we want to test something out because when you're creating a strategy and when you're writing email sequences there are a lot of ideas flying around right and I always have a running list of ideas that we want to try later on but we don't if we do it now we're going to get distracted so that list is pulled up um, in that call. And then we go through and see what we want to test out. Sometimes it's email subject line. Sometimes it's testing out a text email versus an HTML based one. It's kind of like that. And how do you measure success at the end of a project? It needs to perform better than it was before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that that's usually pretty obvious, right? That, that we want to get that. But I yeah. think a lot of uh, copywriters that we talk to also say, um, I don't ever have access to the numbers, you know, so how do I know if something is performing better? Do you always get access? So in my, um, I do most of the time. So when I'm, when I'm, you know, on the discovery call, when I fill out the intake form myself on the call, I don't send it to the client to fill it out. So when we're on our project kickoff call, that form is right there in front of me. And I'm, as they're telling me all that info, I'm putting it in. So I ask them, what are your um, stats right now? What are your email stats right now? So um, either send me a screenshot or just tell me and I'll record it right here. So a lot of times they just sign in and they start telling me that stuff. And then when I'm, impl- because sometimes I offer to implement the sequence, which means I get guest access and I keep that guest access. Um, so I have access to the stats that come in. Gotcha. Yeah. So do you think that implementation piece is worth doing, um, even though I can see where, you know, oftentimes as copywriters, we want out of that piece because there's so many little things that could go wrong. Um, For you, has it been worth it to handle implementation so you can get those stats? Yeah. So as an email strategist and copywriter, one of the things that really tripped me up in the beginning was that I don't know how to implement, like there are so many email marketing services out there, right? I don't know how to do all of them. So I tend to, I went out and found people who knew those 
particular ones that I was working with, right? As soon as I signed a um, sign a proposal, get a signed proposal from uh, the client, I one of the first things I do is I go out and find somebody who knows that email marketing software that my client is using inside out. So, and then sometimes if I'm swamped with work, I outsource it. If I'm not, then I just pay them like an hourly fee and say, I might have questions and I want you to be, I'll get on a call with me if I need it. And they're more than happy to help. Yeah, that's a great idea. So um, I don't think you actually shared this, but how have you packaged your services? Do you have, do you package it by the type of sequence um, or are you customizing each package that you sell? Mm, Not really. So my email sequence, email strategy and sequence uh, strategy and copy package is a certain amount right now. I don't mess with it, right? But if we're on a discovery call and I notice that the client is going to need a lot more segmentation than, you know, that than the cost of my package right now, then I give them a custom code. So um, as one email sequence with strategy and audit and everything, the whole shebang is about $4,500 right now. And the more I'm doing them, the more I'm realizing that I'm charging I'm not charging enough. But for now, until at least January 1, these are my rates. Um, And the audit on its own, like one of my packages is just the audit, which is often the first step in uh, when we start a project. So if the client just wants to test out the waters, they can, you know, get my uh, email conversion audit and see how it goes. And if they like it and they want to work with me, uh, then the cost of the audit is adjusted in the cost of the project. Gotcha. Okay. So the $4,500, what does that break down into? Maybe I missed it, but how many emails and what's included? 12. 12. 12 okay. Gotcha. Okay. So there's a lot in there. Yeah. Okay. And what advice would you give to other copywriters who maybe are newer in the email space and are trying to figure out how much to charge for their packages, um, how much to charge per email and struggling to figure out what that should look like? What guidance would you give them? As far as rates are concerned, I always say charge a number that will make you get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) Like it could be anything, right? It's perception, it's context. But when you're just starting out, you know, charge, maybe charging $300 an email seems like a mountain to you. So start low, start whatever gets you clients, whatever gets you testimonials, whatever gets you results. Just as you keep building your authority and stacking up that social proof, keep uh, increasing your rates. Like I started at $5 blog posts. So let's be honest, you know, <laughs> as long as you don't go back, you keep stepping up. Um, it's fine. Charge whatever. Awesome. Cool. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the writing of the emails. Um, do you have tricks or tactics or things that you rely on to, you know, take say an existing uh, email sequence that, somebody has got and you know that you can apply these and dial it up what are you doing to make sure that i probably should but i don't because like when this strategy is such a fluid thing right when you go through something when you when you're auditing the whole thing you get these ideas um so a lot of times like a single email is packed with information right they they're asking for uh, asking their subscribers to follow them on social media reply and share what their biggest frustration is. Um, And then there's, you know, a little bit about the products that they're selling. And I'm like, that's three separate emails. So um, it really depends. I don't, I do have uh, these swipe files for email subject lines, uh, which I 
I keep noting like my inbox is the biggest, but whenever I come across like a good subject line or an opening line or preview text, I just include it in my um, Google Sheet file that I have for this. And because subject lines are the one thing that really tripped me up. And that's the one thing that I feel I need to keep going back and working on my skills on. So what would you say, Summer, as far as the impact of this pivot you made in your business from from content to email, um, how has that impacted you, you know, financially, personally, professionally? Um, yeah, just share the results of this change you've made in your business. Last year was my first year as an email copywriter, right? And um, the pivot looks scary. Um, even after I'd made the move to from content to email, I kept leaning on my content work because that's where my authority was. That's where I was getting the bulk of my income from. It took me a full year to replace my content work with email projects. And even then, there were lean months where it was so tempting for me to go back to taking on content work. But one of the smart things that I did was that I saved up like crazy the year I was taking on content and email work both. And it allowed me to save up six months of reserve and attend TCC IRL. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, that experience at TCC IRL. <laughs> we, we love talking about uh, that event. Um, you know, what, what was that like for you uh, being there? It was incredible. Okay, so I'm going to take it from the top, right? The first thing was like having such a long flight without kids. I was in heaven. Like my my bag was so light. I kept checking if I'd missed anything, but then I realized it wasn't filled with extra bottles. There were no <laughs> snacks. That's why it felt light. I like I was traveling alone. I didn't have any kids with me. It's nice, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I just kind of caught up on my sleep uh, all the way over to um, New York because it's it felt like I hadn't slept in days, and the entire excitement of going to New York and making sure my kids were well adjusted for the 10 day separation. Um, and this was the first time that I was leaving my kids. So it was really stressful. But then once I got there a couple of days early, cause I have some family in Philadelphia that I wanted to meet. So um, I was rooming with Iman um, at TCC IRL and it was such a blast. I mean, Iman is a gem of a person. Like even before I'd gotten there, she had sent me like a video of the whole entire room. And I knew what to expect when I entered the hotel. So, um, yeah. And then TCCRL, the conference started, and I got to meet everybody I had been talking to in in the group and um, in the main group and then the underground Facebook group. So it was just this amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience for me. And, um, you know, before we jumped on the call, we were talking about representation at events. Um can you talk a little bit about kind of your take take on representation in communities like our own and events like our own? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that really struck me out was that I was the only hijab wearing Muslim woman there, right? Um, so not the only Muslim woman, but like somebody who was very visibly Muslim. And it kind of just really, really struck me because the copywriting community is so huge. And for their, and and then it made me start thinking back, right? Even online, I don't see that many women who look like me in the copywriting world. So it just kind of just really, it was a jolt to the system and not something that I had actively thought about before that moment when I walked into that hall and saw all these sea of faces and nobody who looked like me. 
Um, and it's not that these women who are visibly Muslim like me are not there. Uh, they are. They reach out to me on Facebook and they are working. They're doing good work. It's just that everybody is so scared of showing up online. And I can totally understand because every time I show up online, it's not spontaneous for me. Um, I think about it a long time before I will post a tweet or even remind somebody, um, respond to somebody. So it's, you know, it's slow going. But I hope that as the years go on, um, this, you know, it it's not a no- it Seeing people like me in conferences is not a novelty, but more like a norm. Yeah, we, we definitely hope for the same thing. You know, we are very conscious in trying to make sure that our event appeals to a broad range of people, that the speakers are representative. And so uh, we, we echo what you're saying. We would love to see, you know, more, more people of all uh, different ethnicities coming from around the world. You know, we, we want those people not only in the audience, but on our stage as well. And there's, a, I think, a huge opportunity for us all to get together as a copywriting community from so many various places and share uh, what we have in common and celebrate that. Yeah, and I just want to say that TCC IRL was incredibly welcoming. Shanti was my uh, dinner host, and when she emailed us asking what our preferences was, I told her I would love it if we went to a halal or a kosher restaurant, but totally fine if we didn't because I was there for the company more than anything else, right? And everybody has every place has salads, so that's fine. But she chose the most amazing kosher restaurant, and there was the highlight of my visit. Like that food was just incredibly out of this world. Like I, if I ever go back to New York, that's one of the places that one of the first places that I'll be going to. So thank you, Shanti, and thank you guys for you know creating this incredibly welcoming conference. Can we talk a little bit about what you shared about before you post anything online, you you don't just post randomly. You really think through what you're posting, or at least that's what it sounds like. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of people can relate to that, just even around feeling uncomfortable being visible and sharing our opinions and potentially being attacked. So what is your thought process before you share something or step into that visibility? So I've been incredibly lucky in the support system that I have in my copywriting peers, right? So there are two or three people that I trust implicitly. And whenever I spend more than like half an hour on a tweet, that's literally how long I'm spending, by the way, sometimes. So, and I know it's like, it's better instead of agonizing over it, it's better to send it over to them and see what they say. And 100% of the time, they're like, this is great. Why are you even thinking about it? Just tweet it out. And so I've been forcing myself to be, to embrace my, you know, my unique experiences and share some of my world um, online. And um, so far, it's kind of been okay. Nobody's come right out and throw, you know, threw rocks at me or anything like that or said, go back to where you came from. Technically, they can because I already am where I came from. But you, you know, it's just it. All, none of my fears have been realized. So to anybody out there who is struggling to post online, show up as themselves, just do it. And if you're really scared, just think about it this way. Pick Twitter. The timeline moves so fast. 98% of the people won't even see it. So just just start posting. 
So Summer, it's been a little while uh, since you posted this, but in the underground a while ago, you posted about self-sabotage. And I think this is something that a lot of copywriters, including myself, you know, at times, uh, we do this where we sabotage our own best efforts. Will you talk a little bit about that and your experience? Yeah, for sure. So my first year as an email copywriter was, um, you know, really good financially. Uh, but I decided to take December off because my sister was getting married and Desi weddings are this huge affair, like they're exhaustive and drown out, drawn out affairs. And the festivities can last anywhere from two weeks to a month. So I knew that, uh, because this was my baby sister and the last wedding in our family, we were going to go all out, um, And so I planned on taking December off and I worked incredibly hard and saved aggressively. But then in the middle of all this, I realized that I hadn't planned on having any work for after the break. And suddenly I went from being this busy, slightly smug email copywriter to a workless email copywriter. And the panic set in. And then self-doubt started knocking on the door and I started wondering if I was scared of the success I'd seen because I couldn't come up with any other reason for not planning after the, after the wedding, like after December, what happens then? Like I wrapped up all my projects, like I was shutting down business. (laughs) And I just like the day I realized that I start, I felt like such an idiot but, uh, and I started asking myself, was this my way of sabotaging myself because I'd been struggling so long financially and um, yeah, so I had all these thoughts going through my head, which really, when really I should have just been doing the work. Huh. So you feel like self-sabotage is just, it was getting in the way, but not actually serving you. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, I want to pivot a bit and ask about your team. I think you said we a couple of times, so I'm not sure if you have a team. I'd like to hear about like the structure, if you do have support and also what your schedule looks like, because I know, you know, I have young kids, you have young kids who I think are even younger. Um, and it's challenging for all parents to juggle that um, early childhood with business, early businesses too. So how do you make it all work too? I have a VA and then I have this incredible person I sometimes outsource implementation to. So as for managing my time, it's really strange because both my kids go to school, but they both have like very different timings. So uh, my three-year-old goes to school like in, during the conventional time, which is um, 8.30 to 12.30. But my oldest, my older uh, kid goes to a school which has an afternoon shift. So she goes at 11 and she comes back at 7. So my day is kind of broken up in chunks where I work after sending the little one to school until 10.30. So 8.30 to 10.30 is my um, catch-up time, right? I check my email. I catch up on any correspondences that come through the night. I YouTube a little. I have breakfast while I'm sitting on my laptop checking my email and stuff. And then once she leaves, the older one leaves, I get down to real work, right? And then I get my mom to pick up the younger one. So that gives me a few more hours to work. And I'll be honest, one of the biggest support to me is living walking distance from my parents. Like it is a blessing. If I have a deadline, all I have to say is, mom, can you please watch baby cup? And um, it's no problem at all. Yeah, sure. Send it over. And then I have the entire day to work. 
So that's kind of how like I work in chunks, basically. And I am an expert napper. So if I haven't been able to work during the day for whatever reason, if my kids are, you know, not feeling well or anything. So I take a nap in the afternoon or even 6 p.m. and then I work through the night. Yeah, I am an expert napper as well. It's a a special skill set. Now, we've talked a lot about email and the pivot you've made in this conversation. For a copywriter who's considering that niche and really wants to jump into email, but also knows that a lot of, it seems like there are a lot of email specialists out there, what advice would you give them so they can really specialize and and make it work for them and their business? There's really no qualification that you need to have to become a special uh, an email copywriter, right? Uh, just keep doing, just call yourself an email copywriter, and then it doesn't matter what other work you're doing. Like, just you you gotta put food on the table. Keep taking content work if that's the work that's coming your way, but keep marketing yourself as an email copywriter. So eventually, the work will start coming in. Until then, do whatever you have to do. Um, and I know it sounds simplistic, simplistic, but that's the truth of it. That's how I did it. Um, and once you decide to specialize as an email copywriter, find a way to fast track your growth. For me, it was working with Val and taking Joanna's courses. Um, but for someone who's just starting out and may not have the money to invest in courses, there are plenty of online resources that will teach you almost everything you need to know to get started and start getting your client results. But like the fastest way that I recommend is identify the experts in your specialization and stalk them online. Read everything published by them, get on their newsletters, attend their webinars, listen to their podcast appearances, read their guest posts, consume every bit of free content they give away. And when you follow someone to learn from them, it's like a thread that keeps uh, unraveling and giving you more information to work with, right? So take social media, for example. Keep an eye on the conversations the experts in your niche are having and the people that are responding to their tweets or commenting on their LinkedIn updates. You'll find a goldmine of problems that your prospective clients are looking to solve. And it'll also give you the list of prospective clients that you might want to pitch later on. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So what's next for you and your business, Summer? What are you building? What uh, you know? What fun things are you doing uh, I'm- to grow? actually been sitting on a a couple of collaboration ideas that I cannot talk about right now. Oh, no. But yeah, because I've been sitting on them a long time and they don't seem to be moving forward. But that's one of my (laughs) that's one of my things for like 2020. I want to do those two things that I've been talking about. Right. One is related to representation. Um, And I think, um, Kira, I've told you a little bit about it, too. But um, the other is uh, doing a few webinars now on uh, emails. And you, just talking to you guys has given me a few ideas. So, yeah. But other than that, I'm just focused on client work right now. Nothing else. So, Summer, we'd love to know what you think the future of copywriting looks like. Um, it's definitely not an AI. I can tell you that. <laughs> on a serious note... To me, the future of copywriting is in copywriters being more selective in who they work with. Um, It's in them caring about their client's business and being a strategic partner rather than just a copywriter. Yeah, I I love that answer. And I agree. Like AI may be a tool that we use, but if you're not building a relationship with your clients, 
and none of that even matters. And maybe even more importantly, building a relationship with your clients, potential customers, you know, who it's who we're trying to connect with. Great. Well, that's a positive outlook on the future of copywriting. Uh, we still have jobs in the future. That's good. So Summer, um, where can our listeners find you if they just want to reach out or maybe follow you very closely online? Where should they go? Two places. One is my website, summeros.com. And the other place I hang out is on Twitter. So twitter.com slash summerwes. All right, Summer. And we've been grateful to have you in our groups too. Um, in uh, the underground, we've been grateful to have you in there and then the Copywriter Club and helping so many people uh, within those groups. So thank you. You're very welcome. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Thank you.